Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. Today our guest is Emmanuel Bankston. He's going to talk to us today about the peanut industry in Alabama, his work with Archer Daniels Midland in Louisiana, and also his cow-calf operation. Earl is a, which we'll cover why his nickname is Earl. Earl is a wealth of information we met back when we were state officers. I was from Florida and he was a state officer in, in South Carolina. Fun fact, a week before a little conference we went to, I sprained my foot playing soccer and so I had crutches and was limping around and the first day of the conference Earl looks at me he motions with his fingers like somebody running and then he like kicks the ground and then he starts hopping on one foot or on one finger and we just bursted out laughing I was like all right Earl you're pretty cool I like you um, but now Earl's a wealth of information he's going to talk to us today about um, goods procurement work um, grading goods peanut grade, stuff like that, and also what it's like to have a cow-calf operation, how somebody can get started in having their own operation like that if they don't have a lot of land, how they can rent it, and stuff like that. So thanks for stopping by and hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, Emmanuel, a.k.a. Earl Bankston. How are you doing today, Earl? Oh, pretty good. Just um, enjoying the, the evening. Hey, there you go. So you grew up in Georgia, went to South Carolina. You're big in the ag. Tell us how you got your start in agriculture and how it was growing up. Well, it all started. Um, my grandfather, he um, was a, we grew up in, in northeast Georgia, in a little town called Crawfordville, and it's a very rural area. I think it's the least populated county in the state. We're um, thinking about 1,200 people or somewhere around there live in the whole county. So growing up, we, you know, my granddad, he had a little store on our place and uh, he had cattle. 
and um, he also owned a logging company as well as um, we had cattle and so I was always around it and from the I mean I remember just getting in his old beat up truck and and going out to the pasture and feeding cattle um, probably I was five or six years old so it was a, kind of a passion then. I just loved the the cattle and um, seeing the grass grow and the calves be born, stuff like that. So that's kind of where it all started. We met back in the day, which has been 10 years, man. It's been a long time. Back in, in South Carolina, back when we were both state officers, man, those were the days, weren't they? They were very fun. I remember it was like two or three days into the conference that we were at. And, of course, I was hopping around on, on crutches because I sprained my foot playing soccer. And you walked up to me in motion with your fingers, like me kicking the ball and then limping. I was like, all right, Earl's a cool guy. I like him. Oh, I remember that, too. That was um, state officer training. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, that was a good time. So you went to Clemson, and what would you major in at Clemson? Um, agriculture education, and I minored in animal science. What got you interested in, in ag ed and animal science as a minor? Well, um, so what kind of took me away from the farm is, well, I don't know, I was about 10 and my father was in the military. So um, we began to move around and I always, every summer was back in Georgia with my granddad. And so it always kind of stuck in me. We moved to South Carolina and I said, I'm in high school now and I really want to be part of um, FFA and, and Ag Ed. And I end up finding a school like I, here I am. I end up calling the state um, director of our ag ed program and the, for all the schools. And he kind of directed me. He's like, you're moving here. So we have a school here and uh, you can go there and, and get involved. And it was a startup program that had been disbanded for about 10 years and they got a young ag teacher involved. So we were not too far age difference, you know, maybe five or six years. I was maybe 16 and he was fresh out of college, and so um, we ended up becoming really good friends, and we had some good goals, and we just kind of set out and really improved that ag program, and from there, I knew something in agriculture. I didn't know I was going to get a degree in ag ed, but um, I knew it would be something involved in it because it had done a lot for me since I was in high school. That's pretty cool. So after graduating from Clemson, you went down to Louisiana, is that correct? That's correct. So tell us about your work with Archer Daniels Midland. Well, it started, um, well, when you're a senior in, high, in college, you decide to, well, maybe I'll um, start going to job fairs and um, interviewing stuff like that. And the first booth I walked up to was Archer Daniels Midland, and they were looking for interns as well as um, young hires, which they called um, at the time GTOMs, and they were um, grain training operations management. And so um, I didn't know at all what I was doing, but I knew ADM was a big company. So um, I go there and I interview the next day with them. And funny story is on my resume, I did not put any contact information. I don't know how I missed it, but I didn't put my phone number and put an email address. And um, somehow they end up getting in touch with one of my professors and then um, about two days later, I was on a plane going to Decatur, Illinois, to their headquarters to um, interview. So that's kind of what got me started. And I, all, a lot, a couple of my friends ended up interviewing as well. And they got some job offers and some of them took them. Um, some of them got internships and they went, we were all spread out. I went to um, southeast Louisiana, right outside of New Orleans, worked on the Mississippi River. Um, as a trainee, I kind of got a little in-depth knowledge of 
all aspects of what we did. So um, when you hear about grain exports or ag exports, you um, you just see it on television. They talk about how much we export to China. And right now with the kind of the trade war we got going, you hear about that. Well, I was right there in the middle of it. I was part of the, the group that actually put those numbers together. And so um, training, I ended up um, learning management. We managed about 100 people. The location was a grain elevator. So it took barges from the northern part of Mississippi, which were from states, Iowa, um, Illinois, Missouri, and we unloaded those and we stored them and then we loaded sh vessels and those big vessels went to um, China, Japan, Mexico. So I was part of, of that at a young age and plus I got to live right outside of New Orleans. So um, that was real fun when you're in your early 20s. So And I bet you spent quite a lot of time in New Orleans. That's a pretty oh, cool yeah. place to be at when you're younger. A few miles from Bourbon Street, it was um, very, very awesome. That's pretty cool. All right, so Archer Daniels Midland, they're a food processing company, and they trade commodities. So walk us through how exactly the processing takes place. Like, how how exactly does an ag company transform, say, peanuts into something like peanut oil? Kind of explain that process. All right, so, um, and it's, and I'm in the procurement side. So since I like to deal with um, farmers and, and being in the ag industry, I live right in the middle of Southeast Alabama right now in the peanut belt. And the, the way it all starts, and we'll, we'll start with, with your corn. So um, the farmer grows corn and he's looking for a place to sell it. So um, ADM will have a, a grain elevator, as they call it. And that's where the farmer goes and, and sells his crop. Um, and, and the prices will normally be determined on kind of what the market, supply and demand. And from there, it's going to go to a couple of revenues. So you have your processing and your ethanol, you have processing for your food. And so ADM owns a little bit of all that. Um, the export side, which is not even processing, just handling it and sending it um, overseas. But on um, the processing step, um, the, we create um, your oil for Chick-fil-A. It's made out of peanut oil, and that's what we do um, in this region right now, um, that northern Florida, southeast Alabama, and uh, southwest Georgia. Um, in Dawson, Georgia, we have an oil mill. So we'll buy peanuts from the farmers, and we'll ship, we'll store those, and we'll ship those to that oil mill, and it'll crush and take that oil and, um, and for processing. So you can have it, you can buy it at Walmart or Sam's Club in gallon jugs or Chick-fil-A likes to use it and makes their, their chicken very good. So they'll um, buy large quantities of it. So that's kind of the processing end. Uh, we also process um, kind of a double edge thing. So with soybeans, you can there's tons of things you use soybeans for. So um, we can crush those and you have your soybean oil. Um, and then the byproduct of that soybean oil is actually your feed stuff. So a lot of um, your chicken producers will, will use that, your Tysons, things like that. Um, cattle feeders will use it as well. Um, another byproduct of peanuts, we'll switch back over there, you'll have your, um, your peanut holes. So when you shell them, you have the holes there, and those get used for feed as well. So um, ADM just kind of has a little hand on, on everything. Is a big portion, something that you ate today was touched by ADM, whether we touched it when we bought it from the farmer, or we actually processed it and put it in your um, Coca-Cola, or we put it in something like that. 
that's that's kind of kind of what the company do and they do a, a bunch of things and so um that's just one little piece of it we also deal with your tree nuts in california almonds macadamians as well and and adiums is always looking to do other things so walk us through goods procurement what are some of your job tasks so i'm um, in the peanut business um and we just talked about the grain business the farmer takes his corn or soybeans to a grain elevator um, the peanut industry is different. So um, by federal law, um, peanuts that are sold, they have to be, that are sold for the commercial market, they have to be graded by a state agency or, or federal agency and um, have to be handled at a buying point. So that's is where I'm at. I'm a superintendent of the operations there. Um, kind of, that's a mixed bag. You do a lot of things from hiring employees to um, working on equipment when it breaks down to um we run a crew of about uh, 15 guys and they they do the pesticides so they make sure that the rodents and bugs don't infect our big warehouses with peanuts we also have the crew that unloads the warehouses and that fills the warehouses and we also manage the peanuts that are getting shelled at the shelling plant we're about one mile away from the the shelling plant, and they shell peanuts for um, your M&Ms, Mars, and, and things like that. So um, we, we buy them from the farmer. He brings them in. Um, the government or state agency will grade them. They'll kind of based on three categories, your SEG 1, SEG 2, SEG 3s. Um, SEG 1 being your, your best peanut, top dollar. Um, it doesn't have much damage, no, no bugs or or anything like that, it's a good peanut. And um, we'll pay the farmer for that and we'll store them and kind of send them to any of our outlets that we have. So that's kind of me. I deal with the farmers kind of on a regular basis. Um, They're my neighbors as well. We, like I said, manage the employees that we have. And so it's a very unique industry, very niche. Um, We also handle the seed. So we have a select group of farmers that grow peanut seed and that seed will um, be shelled at a plant and then haul back to us and we'll coat it with a treatment. Peanuts are always living. So the, the peanut seed is a living, breathing organism. So we'll get that in, we'll coat it to protect it. We'll um, bag it up and we'll sell the seed to farmers as well. So we kind of do a little bit of everything. And of course, those are seasonal. So um, you're buying peanuts in the fall during harvest and you're treating and selling seed in the spring for um, planting. So um, that's kind of like what we do. There's a lot of different things that we do throughout the day, and it varies. One of my favorite things about, um, and you're around Dothan, one of my favorite things about Dothan is that it's got such a huge presence in the peanut industry that almost every other building in Dothan has got like a huge five-foot peanut statue just to kind of give recognition to how important the peanut industry is in the city. And it's always really cool to see. And they're always dressed up in random costumes to kind of represent those different companies. Absolutely. So in addition to working for ADM, you have got a cow-calf operation. So walk us through how you kind of got started in that business. Well, I always have like the cattle industry. And um, like I said, my grandfather, he was kind of a self-made guy. So he um, was born to what you call sharecroppers back in the 30s and kind of built up his own little farm and and his business ventures uh, by himself. So what you don't hear a lot in the ag industry is young people actually starting their own production ag. So a lot of young people that are involved in, in production agriculture farming are, are kind of born into it. They inherited 
their dads or everybody kind of sets them up in the industry. Um, but when you're when you're like myself, um, you, you venture out and you go and you work for a, an ag company or something like that. So of course I deal with ag every day, but also like production ag. I think we all have to remember where our food comes from and, and being a direct part of that's pretty cool. I've always wanted to do that. So when I got to Alabama, we decided um, I would call around and see maybe a farmer or somebody or a landowner has land that I can, can lease from them. Land's very expensive. So you buy it as a long-term investment. And so leasing it is a, kind of the best way a young person can, can get in the cattle business. So um, we leased um, and we raised bottle calves here at the house. Um, I have a little barn. So we we raised a few bottle caps here, and once we got fences put up, water hooked up, um, got our trailers and gates all set, and got some hay, we went to the auction and we bought some pregnant cows, and we bought some pears, and so um, we've gotten up about uh, 12 head now, definitely going to get a few more and try to expand from that, but that's a good start. Not a lot of late 20-year-olds are, are doing that, um, so it's it's something we enjoy, and you can't do it without good people. If you don't meet good people that can help you, that can can really steer you the right direction, let you um, build those contacts. And, and Trevor, you know it. When you're in FFA, you just build contacts, and you know how to network and things like that. You join your Cattlemen's Association or you join the uh, Farmers Federation or Farm Bureau, and you can kind of build. So that's what we've done here. And uh, that's kind of what's gotten us to, to where we're at. And uh, I, I can use I use some of my old granddad's equipment too. I have his cattle trailer, and um, so that that part was easy. But we still uh, have put a lot of blood and, and sweat in, in in it to um, get where we're at now. So um, we'll sell our first group of calves sometime in the fall, and then we'll sell a few cows as well, and we'll buy back around this time next year. That's that's our, our cattle venture that we have, and very proud of it. Yeah, that sounds pretty great. Uh, now, you touch base on good people. When it comes to the beef industry, you have a lot of consumers that think beef producers are all about numbers. They don't care about their livestock. But you and I both know that's completely false. Tell me about some of those good people in the beef industry that we both know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, care for their animals every single day. Well, um, I, I actually have never met a farmer that didn't from when it's a— uh, Late night and it's cold, we're out there bottle raising our calf. Any cattle that are sick, we're going to take care of. Not only are they an investment for us, but um, just caring about the livelihood of, of that animal, how comfortable they are in the environment we put them in is um, very, very important. But you talk about the, the good people in the industry is we, we make our living. A lot of people make their living with, with the cattle or, or with peanuts. In order to keep making a living, you have to make sure that everything's healthy. You have to make sure that um, the land that you get is better than when you received it. Um, so that there's a lot of conservation that farmers do. And in the, the beef industry in particular, we're always battling like misconceptions. Um, so we're giving our cattle hormones and we're, we're doing things that are going to make the meat unsafe to eat. When really that's not the case. Um, the science proves that whatever medicines we give them will make the cattle healthier, of course. And um, before you sell any livestock anywhere, then you're or you're responsible for not having any vaccine residue in the meat or anything like that. So the farmers held accountable, and we understand that, and we're 
we definitely want to get the top price for our product and you can't get the top price if you don't take care of it every farmer knows that and sometimes there's some problems out there but there's a lot of mis misconceptions and and that's what we do i'm the chairman of our young farmers and ranchers committee down here in henry county alabama um involved in our cattlemen association to to help tell that story because if we don't like right now there there's some lady in new york that comes out a new green deal and it's great we all want a healthy planet but she puts cattle as you know giving off meth methane gases well we all know that the cattle do flatulate but how harmful is it to the environment and will we stop raising cattle and not supply beef to the rest of the world because of that so we, we want to look you know the the cattle actually harm the environment more than a coal plant or more than 20 million arm automobiles in the country so it, it is telling that story and the farmers understand that and there's a lot of smart people me and you both got degrees in agriculture so our jobs are to to tell that story i couldn't agree more now, two points real quick i once had a professor that put it really well he said a sick or animal that's not being treated well is not going to produce and a farmer is not a get rich quick scheme they've got to take care of all their animals at the best of their ability and then they can produce so um and yeah talking about the the cow fartings there was some article that went around the internet a couple of years ago that was saying um that cows, particularly the beef industry, produces more methane gas or more harmful greenhouse gases than the transportation industry. But they only counted cars driving on the street. And then for the beef industry, they counted the cow flatulence and they also counted transportation and manufacturing for beef products. They mm -hmm. left out completely vehicle production, vehicle transportation, um, mining for those minerals and everything to, to build the car out of. So it was completely false. And I think even the scientific community was like, okay, this isn't entirely accurate, so we should probably not look at this. But a lot of people are just blowing it out of proportion saying, oh, cow farts are bad. You probably yep. saw, uh, they were trying to come up with this backpack that cows can wear that captures their methane gas. And then farmers are supposed to take that backpack off and deposit it into some methane gas tank to collect it for some reason. <laughs> no. It, Man, Earl, this has been a fantastic conversation learning about EDM, food processing, um, and just your thoughts in the ag industry. If consumers want to learn more about ag, if they want to, more, want to learn more about food processing or the beef industry, what are some tips that they should do to research for themselves? We'll start with kind of what we, um, what me and you started in, uh, your ag ed. You know, the FFA, National FFA, has a great website. For me, since um, you, you get older and you join other organizations um, that are more in the, your age group. Um, your, the American Farm Bureau has tons of good information on their website. Um, every state in our union has a cattlemen's association, so you can definitely get on their website. And I will tell you, you can go anywhere, and if you see, if you meet a farmer, I don't know whether you'll know what he does or not, but if you ever get a chance to talk to one, just do it because they will definitely give you some good information and, and let you know. Um, I, I believe every public school needs a, an FFA or some kind of ag ed curriculum if it's just one class to kind of teach the young kids that, hey, this is a, an industry and this is how your food gets here and um, this is how it's, how it's produced. And I think if every child would know that, then our, as an adult, you'll understand and so um, those are some good things, some good places to get some information from to learn about agriculture. Well, Earl, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for being on the podcast, man. We'll talk to you soon. 
All right. Thank you, Trevor. Have a good night. Hey, everyone. We're trying to make things easier for you to listen to the podcast. We are now a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and that means you can now find us on an additional platform. We're now available on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs like Samsung, and even game systems. While you're on there, check out over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films, download the app, and watch and listen anywhere.